You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. We all know that the Civil War cost over 600,000 lives, and many of us who study the war focus on how those lives were taken, the tactics, the weapons, the generals, the battles. But sometimes we look at how lives were saved. Today, we'll look at the world of a hospital steward in the Civil War through a diary left by one such person, and we'll talk to the editor of that diary, Michael A. Flannery, when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. Everyone faces conflict at home, at work, in the community, in the world. Fix Your Conflicts is a show about how to fix those conflicts with practical tips and techniques. Doug Knoll brings to the Internet airwaves the first of its kind, a show that teaches peaceful resolution to life's daily battles. That's Fix Your Conflicts with Doug Knoll, broadcasting live every Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific on World Talk Radio Studio A. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you today from the campus of East Carolina University here in Greenville, North Carolina, on a beautiful spring day in the, uh, what is it, April of 2008. I'm catching my breath because I just ran across campus from a meeting of the provost council. We're discussing problem-based learning. We're talking about the scholarship of engagement, all kinds of buzzwords. Uh, this was one of those meetings where things went on for 90 minutes with a slideshow, the usual uh, uh, PowerPoint going on, and people looking at their own materials and sort of drifting off. And then... Uh, and then at the end, somebody raised a question that people were actually interested in, and other people began talking about it, and suddenly a discussion broke out, an actual productive discussion at a scheduled meeting. I wouldn't have believed it if I had been there myself. <laughs> uh, but that's what happened, uh, responding, and uh, so uh, I, I wanted to stay. But it was time to go and get back here for the show. Okay. So there we are. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, the reason I didn't call is uh, uh, sorry, we forgot we'll, about the time zone difference. Oh, hang on. Michael, uh, hang on. We'll be with you in just a minute. Okay. If, if you're there, hang on. I'll, uh, I've got a little housekeeping to go through, and I'll be right there. All right. Um, uh, as, as always, uh, before I forget, the legal, uh, uh, the, the legal uh, notes are that we are not being sponsored by East Carolina University and anything I say in spite of the fact it's coming here from the Brewster Building, is actually my own thoughts. My guest will speak for himself, not his place. It's all all our own. And uh, listeners, you'll want to remember that the Did Lincoln Own Slaves World Tour continues as it does seemingly every week without end. Uh, let's see, this week, uh, uh, where are we going now? Um, back to Fort Branch this evening, but it'll be too late for anyone to hear that. Um, I'm trying to pull up the documents in front of me uh, as I sit here uh, recovering from the 
the, the walk across the campus. Our campus is designed here so that there is no straight line between any two buildings uh, without another building in the middle, and it's impossible uh, to get anywhere quickly, but, uh, but that's how it works. Well, you'll have to go listen to another show. I'll be at the uh, Louisville, or uh, the Filson Club in Louisville in uh, late June, Gettysburg also in late June, and Lexington at the uh, Bluegrass Book Fair uh, near the end of May. Uh, if you're curious about any of these or might be near any of them, send me an email. I'll be happy to let you know where I'll be uh, uh, and what we'll be talking about there. So uh, enough of that. Let's get back to uh, today's show, which is uh, what we're here for. And today we have, uh, as a guest, Michael A. Flannery from the University of Alabama, uh, Birmingham. Michael, thank you for uh, joining us today. You're welcome. Uh, we are... Uh, we did not do a live show last week, and listeners, I apologize for that. Uh, the guest was all lined up, and uh, just uh, something came up one way or another, and he was unable to call in. Uh, we'll try to have him back next week and, and get caught up on that, and uh, we'll, we'll just rake him over the coals for not being here, particularly since he teaches at the uh, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and uh, I'm here at East Carolina University, a branch of the statewide University of North Carolina system. But the people in Chapel Hill uh, are keenly aware that they are the flagship university, and we here in Greenville are just a, a satellite. And, Michael, I, I'm guessing perhaps at UAB you get some of that with the... Uh, that sounds rather familiar. <laughs> uh, and uh, my, I did my undergraduate and law school work at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, and that being a flagship, I take a second. Uh, I, I was fully familiar with the the attitude one uh, acquires at the flagship university, <laughs> looking down at Dearborn and Flint and those satellite campuses. And of course, I, I went to undergraduate uh, at, uh, at at Northern Kentucky University, and then went to graduate school at University of Kentucky. So there's a flagship system there as well. And, and you know the the attitude. And then to play the trump card, I. I did my doctoral work at Harvard University, to which all other institutions are but mere satellites. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Bow, bow and genuflect at the mere mention of the name. Precisely. So, <laughs> so when I get my, my good friend and colleague from uh, UNC Chapel Hill on next week, all you listeners will, will note in advance, I'll continually to refer to UNC Chapel Hill uh, rather than simply UNC, as they call it, uh, as if it were just one of the many campuses. It drives them crazy when we do that. <laughs> um, but enough about uh, North Carolina. Let's get uh, back here to uh, the University of Alabama at Birmingham. And in particular, uh, Michael, you, you work there in the uh, historical library? Uh, yeah, I have. Uh, I, my official title is Associate Director for Historical Collections at UAB. And... Um, what that is is a uh, historical collections is a, an umbrella term for really three distinct uh, departments within uh, historical collections: the Alabama Museum of the Health Sciences, University Archives, and the Reynolds Historical Library. So, and you so you direct these? Yes, things. I'm responsible for those three three departments. What, uh, so is your background in archives or libraries? Uh, my my background, I have um, I have. Um, uh, Dual degrees. I have a uh, I have a master's degree in history from uh, California California State University at Dominguez Hills, and I have uh, an MLS degree from the University of Kentucky. So I I come 
with a background of both in history and in uh, in librarianship with a particular emphasis on rare book librarianship. And that uh, brings us to this, uh, what we're going to talk about today in particular. We'll talk about a, a number of things, I'm sure. But uh, this book that you have produced, let me dig around and pull out my copy of it here. I'm not normally this scattered about, uh, but today was an exceptional day now. I was just looking at it, and yeah, it's right in front of me. The title of this book is Well Satisfied with My Position, mm-hmm. titled The Civil War Journal of Spencer Bonsall. And uh, this is a journal that I gathered the original of, is, is in your collection. Is that right? That's correct. Mm-hmm. Where, where did you come by this journal? Well, this um, collection uh, was originally um, given to us by namesake of our special collections library, Dr. Lawrence Reynolds. Dr. Lawrence Reynolds was an Alabama native. He went to um, University of Alabama where he got his undergraduate education and then took his graduate training in radiology at Johns Hopkins. Um, and he had a very successful radiology practice up in Detroit, Michigan. Um, his main interest was bibliography and the collection of rare books and obviously being a physician collected in his field. And fortunately for us, uh, toward the end of his career in the 50s, he was thinking about a permanent home for his collection. And uh, it was our uh, happy uh uh, happy uh, uh, benefit to get uh, his collection, which he bequeathed to the University of Alabama uh, School of Medicine, and it was formally dedicated in ceremonies on February the second, nineteen fifty-eight. So we're celebrating fifty years of the Reynolds Historical Library here. At that time, he had collected about six thousand volumes. We've six, since grown to about thirteen thousand volumes. But the point is, is that, uh, that, uh, within that collection, one of the things that he left us was that this fascinating collection of, of, uh, uh, journal entries, which consist of about 60 pages, uh, handwritten pages, some of it, um, on interesting stationery, like, uh, John B. Hall, wholesale and retail dealer in drugs. Um, and I thought something needed to be done with that. It was obviously unique, one-of-a-kind material. And so um, I worked with our uh, library associate, uh, Catherine Omens, um, in compiling those. Uh, she did the transcribing, and then um, we sort of divvied up the work between uh, adding some uh, informative footnotes, to the materials themselves, and then I worked on the uh, introductory essay and epilogue. So uh, it was it was definitely a uh, a two person job, and uh, I, I really have to, to to say thanks to to uh, Katie Omens for for working with me on putting this together. Well, the the book you produced is a very handsome and. Uh... A small but very handsome volume with uh, illustrations throughout, uh, photographs and uh, others that, that really give a sense of of the world of of Spencer Bonsall. Um, mm-hmm. Is there is there is there other Civil War material in your collection? Yes, as a matter of fact, uh, 
our former chair of surgery, uh, Dr. Arnold G. Diehelm, uh, donated a huge amount of material, um, uh, of course, long after the original bequest. And in fact, Dr. Dinoam is retired now, but um, still a very active uh, member of Reynolds Associates, which is our basically our friends club, which which supports a lot of our programming activity here. At any rate, he has given us a, a sizable body of material, and we now have the Arnold G. Dinoam Civil War Medicine Collection. Now, our collection is not free-ranging. It doesn't cover all aspects of the Civil War, but we do focus on Civil War medicine and health care and have a, a, very, a, very, a very nice collection. Well, I, I want to talk about that in some detail later on uh, as we go, uh, but let, let's look first at this particular journal. Okay. Uh, who was Spencer Bonsall? Well, Spencer Bonsall was a hospital steward, and that's what we would know today largely as a he was sort of a, a, a chief hospital administrator, but but consistently, the consistent thread that runs through all the activities of hospital stewards is that they were essentially what we would know today as pharmacists. He had been a pharmacist earlier in civilian life, and so the the leap to to hospital steward was not a, a, a great one for Spencer Bonsell. If you look at the hospital steward's manual, knowledge of pharmacy and compounding and the materia medica of the day, the materials of medicine, was an assumed body of knowledge before one could even uh, be considered as a hospital steward. So he was a hospital steward, and he served with the 81st uh, Pennsylvania Volunteers. And uh, during his tour of duty, had uh, a variety of fascinating experiences uh, in the Peninsular Campaign, the uh, the uh, Battle of Fredericksburg, uh, all the way up to um, uh, the uh, Battle uh, Battle of Gettysburg. So you mentioned, as I was looking through this, he joins the 81st Pennsylvania in March of 1862 mm-hmm. uh, as McClellan is getting ready to undertake the, the campaign on the peninsula. Mm-hmm. But he was in a regiment, but he did he literally serve with the regiment, or, or were the stewards detached to serve with larger hospitals? How did that work? Well, he he he, he was not in the front lines, but he would be either with the 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 uh, field hospital unit uh, back where they were caring for the men. So when he talks about, for example, the actual activities of the of the Battle of Fredericksburg, um, he is there as they are deployed and has a sense of the pending impending battle. But when the battle itself occurs, all he says are, are all he sees are the men that are coming back uh, to be cared for, the, the wounded and, and injured. So, so he's not really there on the front, and so sometimes the reports he gets of battles and engagements is sort of gathered secondhand through the men that he's actually treating. And so, so he, you can tell it's a big battle when there's this flow of casualties. Oh, absolutely, and, and some of the things that come, come through is, uh, he, along with most of the men, absolutely adored McClellan. <laughs> um, uh, they they felt that he was um, uh, almost a magisterial figure, uh, and he as much as says so uh, in his journal. I, I noticed that he does. He thinks very highly of of McClellan, who mm-hmm. is you know, sparing with the lives of his troops, but yeah. uh, does does not get the job done on the peninsula. Right, right. Well, he was. You know, McClellan was. 
known for drilling his men, but not particularly known for engaging his men. But um, uh, the man I absolutely adored him. Does he write about other leaders? Uh, um, a little bit uh, that he has some association and contact with. But what this, what I think the major, there's a couple of major features of of his body of work during the war. The first thing I think that, that a reader will take away is an intimate sense of what camp life was like, how these men interacted with one another, uh, and what day-to-day uh, camp life was really genuinely like. Uh, certainly not a second-hand account, but, but really uh, the life of a soldier who was not an officer. Uh, hospital stewards were not officers. They had uh, the rank, uh, basically, of an ordnance sergeant. Um, so it, it's a fairly common man's look at uh, uh, a, 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 an encampment and uh, military life. Now, Bonsall, I say common man. Bonsall was no common man. He obviously had a fairly high degree of education. His handwriting, which we give an actual uh, facsimile of in the book, you can see uh, one of the pages reproduced and see what a fine hand he wrote with. He was not uh, an illiterate man by any by any stretch. So he was well educated and had um, an ability to to convey in a rather eloquent manner uh, the nature of day-to-day camp life. That's one aspect of these things. That well, while we're talking about camp life, what, what did he think of it? Well, you know, early on, when you look at the body of, of work, uh, he, he, he's actually quite excited, as a matter of fact. And and of course, he's writing this journal. But what he's doing is he's writing this journal in in sort of pieces, and he's we, we can tell because we actually have some of the envelopes. He's writing back to his wife, Ellen, uh, up in Philadelphia, and he's writing at one point about how exciting it is to be with these guys. He really hadn't seen any action yet, but he says, "Boy, this is just like picnicking." And he says, "You know, it's it's like picnicking without 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 ladies." And uh, this is even better. And then he catches he catches himself and says something to the effect that, well, well, but uh, of course, uh, ladies are delightful to have. And I, of course, I didn't mean what I was saying because he realizes, <laughs> oh gosh, this is going to my wife. Uh, <laughs> Written like a, a true husband. Mike, yeah, I mean, early on he's talking about bunking uh, with the boys and everything, and this is just like you know being you know out at camp. You know, it's like a you know almost like a uh, you know a vacation. An excursion uh, uh, with a bunch of his buddies, but later, as he begins to see uh, some of the devastation of that war, uh, he he changes his tone um, and 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 starts to talk more and more about how we have to to link or lick these rebels, and we have to uh, we have to win this war for the good of the union and. Uh, at a couple of places, um, I think particularly, I'm not sure exactly, but I think it was after Fredericksburg, he actually makes the comment that, uh, oh, gee, you know, we are dead as a regiment. You know, most of our men are gone. Well, it, it, the war certainly wears more heavily as we go. We're going to take a short break right now. We'll come back in just a moment. We're talking today with Michael Flannery. 
He is the editor of Well Satisfied with My Position, the Civil War Journal of Spencer Bonsall. And we'll have more from that when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. Mm-hmm. 